Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. Uh, when you say you live super frugally, what does that mean? Because you would only like made five thousand dollars. I mean, his first year, he didn't really make any more money than he did as a uh, poorly paid teacher in a private school. In fact, the first year we actually made a little bit less than he had made teaching. And um, so it was, but we had a garden in the backyard, and I made all our everything I could make out of the garden. That's what we ate out of, you know. And I sewed our kids' clothes. I mean, I took some old clothes of my mother's and ripped them up and made my kids, my girls' dresses out of them. And it was almost like a game to see how little we could live on. And anytime there was a choice of two things, we would always, you know, go with the one that was the less. We never had income goals, but from the very beginning, Bobby had savings goals. And he had it written down on a yellow pad. He said, you know, by this year, we want to have this much money in savings. And by this year, we want to have this much money in savings. And, you know, that was our goal at the end of the year to see if we could hit that that savings goal. And um, by the I think it was his third year in the business, he came in and he showed me his tax, the tax return that he just finished working on. And he said, look, this year we made ninety nine thousand nine hundred dollars. And he said, I hope we saved a lot of that because this will probably never happen again. <laughs> Nobody was more surprised than we were. I mean, back in the early days when it was Art and Angela and me and Bobby sitting in a Waffle House booth, people say, oh, uh, did you envision what this company would become? And we were like, no, we were just trying to make a sale. We were yeah. just pay our bills. You know, this was not. We never had a dream that this would be what it turned out to be, ever. Now, just for perspective, I'm not going to put you on the spot but of what, you know, your the range of your net worth now, but I will say that probably 15 years ago, maybe 20, I remember being, maybe whenever one of those stock market uh, crashes, uh, we were over in Europe. Bobby came up to me with a big smile on his face. He said, well, I lost 200 million today. <laughs> That's happened a couple of times, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and we seem to survive, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, this is, and I said that for perspective, so people to get the idea, this is turned around for you pretty darn well. But in the beginning, talk about going through the survival stage is, you know, look back, you know, people, you would imagine somebody who doesn't know what it's like would say, oh, did you have a sense of adventure that this was going to turn into this, that, and the other? And uh, as I remember, no, it was like sheer terror. <laughs> well, we were, I was afraid. I don't, we never talked about it. I'm not sure Bobby was afraid, but I was afraid. But I wasn't afraid of Bobby being successful because I knew he would be successful no matter what he did. Did, but I was afraid of the insurance commissioner putting us out of business. I was afraid of us writing so much business that the company we were writing through would implode and not be able to take our business anymore, which actually did happen. But we had another company, Art, lined up. But it was, I mean, those were the kind of things I was afraid of. I was never afraid of Bobby being successful or not. And I think that one reason was that we did handle our money so well. It was his work ethic and the fact that I was kind of in charge of the money. 
And I knew we weren't going to spend more than we made ever. Yeah. And so the thing is, one of the smart things that uh, Art and Angela did and the company did was to keep the uh, partners involved because when you have, you go through, you're starting any kind of company, it's frightening. It's touch and go. You always have, you know, one enemy or another, one obstacle or another, you know, and the, the boogeyman is hiding behind a lot of bushes. And so the, you know, most things don't happen that you worry about, but they could happen. And so Early it, on, we hired almost 100% men, very few women until Jenny Carter came along. But before that, it was all men. And we figured out that the number one reason people got out of our business, it wasn't because they didn't make enough money. It was because they didn't handle the money that they did make and because their wives would nag them out of the business. They'd say, Johnny next door, he's home every night with his kids having dinner and you're never home. And plus he's making money and you're not. So that's yeah. kind of how the getting the wives, the partners involved. That's kind of how it started. It was a self-defense mechanism. It was to keep people believing in, to educate the spouses so that they would understand too, so they would be on board, so they could be just as excited about this adventure as their husbands. Well, you know, when you're in it and you're going to the office and you're in the meetings all the time, you're seeing the whole picture. You know, you're seeing the good and the bad. But a lot of times when you go home at the evening, things have not gone that well. You've just like in life, you forget the good and the possibilities and everything, but you're furious about the bad. And a lot of times the spouse is at home and all they hear is the grumbling, you know, and it's like, why don't you just quit if it's this bad? Because they don't get a chance to be exposed to the other side of it and see the reason why they don't quit, you know, which is what the potential and the good things that happen and the progress they're making. And so you can really understand that when the, the spouse is left behind, when the spouse is left behind, never exposed it, you're going to inevitably grow apart. Would you say that's true? Oh, absolutely. And I was never left behind. And I understood because I worked in the office. But I actually did what you just said. Bobby came home one night and he had missed a sale. And he's like, man, nobody could have missed this sale but me. This guy had an absolute horrible situation. And I could give him such better one for less money. And he was so down. And he was just grumbling and grumbling. And I was trying to go to sleep. It was like 1130 at night. And I'm like, okay, whatever. If you're that unhappy and you think you're that bad, just quit. Go back to teaching, go back to coaching, do something else. And Bobby tells it now that when I said that, it like made him realize that, hey, this is what I want to do. I am pretty good at this. I missed one sale, but I've made a bunch more and I'm good at this and I want to keep doing this. And Red believes that I can do whichever, this or the yeah. coach, and she's on board either way. So she doesn't care which one I do. But this is yeah. the one I want. And it just double committed him. Yeah. And so let's go back to now when you got the idea that this could be a business, not just in you could help a company be successful, but you could build your own company. When did that light bulb come on and how did that impact your thinking? Well, that kind of happened because we couldn't find a company that would take us on. Yeah. And so Mark came up with the great idea. Hey, let's just start our own. You know, this is like 
why are we working for these other companies? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, right. No, you you know, the idea of a company within a company, the first step of that is when we went independent, we got our own home office and things like that. Right, right. And came out with the IPO and and yeah, that was, that was a huge deal. Yeah. And our stock was mega successful and we took all of our savings and we bought that stock for the IPO and that was huge. So I'll tell you something that I was in the office with Bob Turley one day and he got a phone call from uh, Bobby and I'm not sure where the company where it was with stock and this, that, and the other. <laughs> but we had the opportunity to get some more stock, I guess, at that time. And Bobby was calling uh, Turley. And Turley, he said, I got this place at the lake. I was thinking about buying. It's just unbelievable. Boom, 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 boom. He said, or on the other hand, I could buy stock. And Turley just ripped him a new one. He said, forget the place on the lake. <laughs> you can always buy a place on the lake. Right. He said, Get your money in that stock. (laughs) He was basically yelling at him on the phone, you know, it's just like, but, you know, the thing is, when we come up the ladder, Red, and this is why I want to talk to you and let people hear behind the scenes, is like, we don't know, you know, (laughs) we have a big entrepreneurs in stock, you know, like you get a chance to buy stock. And, you know, I'll tell you one on John Elway. John Elway, great, legendary, Hall of Fame, Super Bowl, you know, whatever. Yeah, except when he got drafted, the Denver Broncos offered to pay him, we'll give you all cash, all salary, or we'll do that plus a percentage of the Broncos, a piece of the Broncos. That piece of the Broncos would be worth billions today. (laughs) But what did John Elway know? His father was a coach. You know, what did he know about stock and, you know, ownership in a company? And so the, the thing is that uh, you can't, you know, he's never been able to make up for the loss of that one decision. But as we come up, we don't know these things, do we? We just kind of make the best decision we have. But it is important to have people around you who can, you can make that phone call to and advise you. And don't just go jumping out there, making the first thought that jumps into your mind. We had started UGMA accounts for each of our kids when they were born. Not the first two, but as soon as we got in the business with the first two and then the rest of them, you know, as soon as they were born, we took all of their money and bought stock with it when um, the IPO came out. And when they got out of college, they were multimillionaires. Now, we had kept on putting money into their UGMA accounts every year. But I mean, it's incredible what the stock did for our children, not just for us. But I mean, it's a multi-generational thing. Yeah, Sam Walton did the same thing with his kids, and uh, when he would be opening up a new store, he'd let his kids, family, everybody that he knew, gave them a chance to uh, buy into it, and that's where a lot of those uh, billionaire Waltons came from, you know? Yeah. And so, as you, the idea of having your own company, how does that impact you? You know, what does that mean to you? You've got your kids in the business, and uh, a lot of the kids in the business, and so what does that mean to have a legacy type business that is something that's not you just, you know, you start off, you make money in sales. I made a ninety nine thousand. This is great. But now where it turns into just millions and tens of millions, hundreds of millions and generational type wealth. We talk about being wealthy, but then it's like stone coal wealthy, you know. And so how does that impact things? Does that have the tendency to change you? 
I don't think it does so much us. We went to a thing with Sandy Wild one time up at um in with the City Group Wealth people yep. up in Connecticut at their retreat. And the speaker that he brought in to speak to us said that when entrepreneurs start off and they're real successful, they don't change. They have the same mindset. If they go into that with a savings mindset, they keep it the whole time. Their children are brought up by them with a savings mindset. So they keep that mindset too, but then it diminishes a tiny bit. But then the grandchildren, that's where things start to break down because these people were not brought up from the beginning. They were brought up from the beginning with money and it's different for them. And that's where kind of our sense of we've got to keep this same, like the founders feel kind of, we've got to keep this mindset going that you have to work hard for what you get, that nothing is given to you, that to create a work ethic and a sense of, of savings. We did that with our children, and now our children hopefully are passing that to their children. I think most of them are, and we have one great-grandchild now. And so, you know, with each generation, we're further removed from it. But hopefully what we've instilled in, in our children is they pass down to theirs and then subsequently to the next generation. But it really is a generation to generation thing and has affected all of this business has. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.